friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. And welcome back to our podcast, Becoming Buffy. We are back with part two of What's My Line. Yeah. This episode I like so much better than part one. I agree. I felt like part one was kind of like the rising action. And then part two is like the climax. And it's kind of like when we're starting to see the like outcome of what's been building for half a season. I feel like part two is the payoff of part one. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. part one's not a bad episode at all. I just felt like I was kind of struggling how to talk about it because you can only really talk about part one if you've seen part two. And so like this episode, I'm like, oh my gosh, like all the stuff that we've been like building up for and like waiting for and all the stuff that kind of like have been unanswered the past few episodes are like finally coming to head in this episode. Yeah. But I feel like there's just so much chemistry between different characters so we don't normally see as much like interaction there's also some great great dialogue like the writing in this is so good there were so many moments this is the most i've laughed in an episode which is very ironic since re-watching the show and recording it this is the episode i've laughed the most um but i don't know i just i genuinely really enjoy re-watching this like i was really sucked in the entire time yeah it's it's very well done and i think you hit the nail on the head leah when you said that it just kind of is the payoff of everything and i think part 1 of what's my line was a really good breather episode and we talked about how it was kind of nice to take take a slower pace really kind of bond with our characters and kind of follow them along in their day-to-day life. But we were missing like a really good action sequence. We were kind of missing like a big bad. Like we had the Order of Taraka, but they didn't do like a whole lot in that episode. Mm -hmm. And so I think this Mm -hmm. episode, especially with the introduction of Kendra, which adds such another layer Mm -hmm. onto the Buffyverse is just, it's phenomenal. What's weird about part one and part two is that in my opinion, Part one becomes a good episode after you've seen part two. Yes. Because then you understand the workings of it and like the foundation that it's setting and all this. But the first time watching part one, I remember just kind of being like, what is going on? Like there, there was just like a lot of moving parts. But then when you see part two, you're like, oh shoot, like this is actually very clever. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense knowing that initially Marty Noxon wrote it to be all one episode, then realized they had too much information for Mm. it to be just one. They had to be two. And I think we're also kind of used to the episodes each having like a monster of the week or a theme that we can really dissect. And I think What's My Line is the very first episode where like obviously Buffy's struggling with her identity and her calling and whether or not she's going to have a career, but that's about as deep as it gets. Like there's not much more to it. And I mean, there's a little bit more. There always is more with Buffy, but it's like with the other ones, it feels like we're dissecting and dissecting with that one. It was like, we only have half the story here. We can only see part of it. And so it was really hard to actually sit there and analyze it and be like, but we can't talk about like Kendra actually being a slayer or, or, you know, Buffy actually contemplating what would it be like with a normal life now that Kendra's here, you know, like, yeah. So those are all things that would have been really, really good to talk about in What's My Line Part 1, but we couldn't. 
Well, I was yeah. about to say that's the one thing that I like was thinking about when we were recording What's My Lane Part One is at the very end they dropped the bomb that Kendra could be a Slayer. And then you're sitting there being like, We can't even talk about this. But then also when you first watch it, you're not thinking she's actually a vampire slayer. You're thinking she has to yeah. be some imposter or something has to be explained. Which I'm sure is really exciting for first time viewers. I don't remember my reaction that much. I remember a little bit. But, like, you can't really talk about that when there's a whole podcast where we're talking about, like, the intricacies of Buffy and you're sitting here being like, there's major information that we can't even talk about yet. But, I don't know. Like, I, we've said this, like, three times, but this is such a payoff of an episode. This is really the turning point of the season, too. From here on out, things change and stuff really starts to get very serious um, so it's just really fun. I think it's interesting and clever that they did a two-part episode. I think it definitely makes you sit up and take notice when you're like, ooh, this is a two-parter. Like when you are going through your queue for as a first-time watcher, you see the first one and you're like, oh, you immediately go and watch the second one. Like they're meant to be watched back to back, um, which is great, but it's really hard for analyzing a back-to-back episode when you're literally yep. doing one episode, you know, every other week. So all that being said. Um, just a reminder, guys, this is our spoiler-free section, so we will not be spo- – well, hopefully we'll not be spoiling anything for you guys. We'll be talking about everything that has happened up until this point in What's My Line Part 2. If you would like our spoiler section, it will be airing next week. Um, so you can check that out where we will be talking all spoilers. So, yeah, let's talk about What's My Line Part 2, Episode 10. Written by Marty Noxon and technically Joss Whedon to a certain extent. I don't know how much he contributed to this episode, but I am—I know that there are several lines he at least put in, and there are whole plot points that he actually like wrote and changed. So um, Marty gives him a lot of credit for certain things um, that we'll see and talk about later. It's directed by David Semmel, and it aired November 24th, 1997. This episode, I mean, we kind of already talked about it, but it's mainly about the contrast between Kendra and Buffy. Mm -hmm. Um, This episode shows just how different Buffy is from the average Slayer, which is what makes it interesting. Because we've been told this entire time that Buffy is like, she's not a normal Slayer. But we don't really know what a normal Slayer looks like because Buffy is our only uh, example of what a Slayer looks like. And so having Kendra there is pretty much the epitome of what a Slayer is, makes it like you look at Buffy and you're like, whoa, Buffy is really unusual. This is one of those times where it's so exciting that we're getting into stuff that we've talked about in the spoiler section. Yes. Um, Because mm-hmm. in the spoiler section, we'd be talking about how like, you know, Kendra and Buffy are foils to each other and how they show just different sides of what being a slayer is and how different people react to it and blah 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 and it's so it's been so hard trying to show like oh you know buffy isn't a normal slayer you guys just kind of have to take our word for it Mm -hmm. um and so now it's so cool that they added in a slayer who we see is what giles would want would have originally wanted or thought that that's what he was going to get one that is kind of like how um spike usually talks about how normal slayers are like no family no friends no boyfriend mm. um and so it's just very interesting that we're getting to actually see what we've been hearing throughout the show but also one of my favorite things while watching tv series or movies is when we as viewers and I love, and this is how you know it's good writing. I love when the audience can pick up on some subtle but obvious 
tones. Like we've always known that Buffy's greatest asset is her friends and her emotion and how she can use that to end up defeating whoever she's fighting. And this is the first time that they've mentioned that. And like, I, I love it. I just, I love that. Like, it's such like a payoff to all the viewers because like you've seen it happen and everyone knows it, but then to actually hear Buffy, like say that and say that it's her biggest asset is like, it got me so excited because I forgot about that whole dialogue with her and Kendra where they're in um, like Giles' office and she's like, that's anger you're feeling. And she's like, you can use that. Um, and she's saying you have great technique. And she's like, but don't get me wrong. I, I'd beat you in the end. She gives it because she says, I think she says something like, um, I, you have to have creativity or something along those lines. And it's true. Like we've seen that and we've mentioned it so much, but this is the first time that they've been upfront about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting watching this show back with a more analytical point of view versus just watching for pleasure. Um, Not that analyzing something can't be pleasurable as well. But normally when I watch Buffy, I am not – I'm watching it because this is entertaining. This is fun. And, like, I'll pick up certain things. But, like, actively watching the episode, having analyzed all the episodes coming beforehand has given me fresh eyes and given me a new appreciation for things. And one of the things that I really appreciated this run through is how layered Kendra actually is. (laughs) Yes. yes. Did you see that too? Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I've always loved Kendra as a character and I – I hate to say that I always, like, when I'm re-watching the first um, season and then, like, obviously second half or first half of the second season, I, like, forget about her because, like, there's just mm-hmm. so much going on. Like, they're trying to establish the core characters. And then, like, I always remember Kendra at the end of season one when Buffy dies. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Kendra's going to come in. And then she comes in and she's honestly just such a breath of fresh air. Like she's very naive, I think, to the world, but that doesn't change the fact that she is very kind to Buffy and like very sensible. And I just like, I really love her as a character. And I think it's really interesting and shame on me. This is something that I hope to grow in in the future, but I've always viewed Kendra as more of a plot device. And so when I watch her, it's more of what she can give Buffy, not necessarily – or not necessarily what she can give Buffy. It's more – I've always viewed her as how Buffy changes Kendra and how Buffy rubs Mm. off on Kendra. But I'm realizing that Kendra actually teaches Buffy so much in this episode and that she's very impactful and that she is the person that Buffy needed in that moment and that she learns a lot. She has her own little character arc just within these two episodes. Yeah. And she is just a phenomenal slayer and she's a confident woman. I mean, there's just a lot. And it's, I think we're all so starved for someone who's a person of color for that representation in this show. And so when she comes in, it's like, oh, like she's unique. She's gorgeous and she's strong and she's powerful and she's someone that's new and different. And that's like, that's enjoyable to watch. We, it, it gets pretty boring and bland to watch all white characters. There are so many other people out there in the world who have stories to tell. And so I think they miss the mark with Kendra as far as, you know, um, the accent, obviously. I love the fact that like, that she is so confident. And even though that like, she doesn't even know her family. She says that she only sees them in pictures. And she's, like, only with her watcher. I can only imagine the type of, like, hardness that her watcher kind of takes on her. Because, like, Giles sometimes is, like, really hard on Buffy. And he could be so much harder on her. But, like, 
she kind of has to have so much responsibility. She's the one that has a lot more, a different type of weight on her shoulders mm-hmm. than Buffy does. Buffy is in with a lot of the action because she's literally on a hell mouth. Um, whereas Kendra is kind of like, she just has a very different type of role as a slayer. And like, I think that they have so much to learn from each other. So this is the episode where I was like, yay, like we're getting that. Yeah. And my, I don't have a problem with her clothes. It's just more of like, it's a frustration because it feels like a white person's version of what an ethnic person would wear because she comes mm-hmm. from this like they never say what country she's from, which I think is a missed mm, opportunity. I think yes. I think it's a bit of a cop out. Yeah, they never go. Hey, let's research what ethnicity she would be, where she'd be from, what style of clothing yeah. they would wear, what it her felt- accent would sound like. Yes, exactly. Something that translates well to television that we can understand because mm-hmm. we still have to understand what she's saying. Um, and it just feels like they just didn't do a lot of research when it came to her, and it's frustrating because like. Obviously, she's adorable and she's cute and I love what she's wearing, but I don't know that it's necessarily accurate unless they were making her from a fictional country or something, which judging by the um, accent that they were going for, they were trying to make her from Jamaica. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just like it's frustrating because it feels like Kendra is simply put there to be a plot device in some ways, but then she's also really thought out in other ways with her character development. So, yeah. And I mean, we, I think we talked about this last episode, but I think that we, we love Buffy. We love a lot of things that we do, but that, that it does the show, not that we do. Um, <laughs> we love what we do. Yeah. We love what we do. Um, but I, we've talked about how just how it handled people of color in the show is just extremely embarrassing. And I think that one of the biggest examples of that is Kendra, because like she is given like a main role, but you can just tell that there's aspects of her that were just like written off or just were not Not considered well, Mm -hmm. even though you know that if that was Buffy or anyone else, they would go into detail about their character. Yep. Yeah. I wanted to point out that, we initially think of Kendra as very robotic-like in the beginning, but throughout the episode, we see that she has had to sacrifice things in her life because of her mm-hmm. calling too. And at the end of the day, she's still a slayer who's had to make sacrifices. And I think that's just a really touching comparison to see between her and Buffy. All right. So we start off where we left off last time. And uh, Marty Noxon, I listened to her commentary on the episode. She had a lot of really good things to say. And she said the idea between Kendra and Buffy in this moment is they've come to a standstill because they are evenly matched. Buffy doesn't usually fight people as strong as Kendra. And so she doesn't quite know what to do because neither one can win, which I thought was a really cool concept. Um, Buffy tells Kendra that she is the real slayer. Kendra reiterates that there can only be one and that another will rise when she dies, which I thought was a really clever use of once again reminding everybody this is how the rules work in this universe. Mm. Um, In regards to the accent, this is the last thing I'm going to say on it. I wanted to read what Bianca Lawson, the actress who played Kendra, what she actually said about the accent because I think that's really important. She said, I really hated that accent. I got the part and I didn't originally have an accent. Then literally right before they said, like it was the night before, they said, what about a Jamaican accent? So it's one of those things where, you know, I just had to put it on tape, but I didn't have a chance to get comfortable with it. And the thing is, certain things, if you say it properly, people don't really fully understand it. So they would change things. They'd say, well, say it like this. And it's like, 
Would that be accurate in that accent though? It doesn't matter because no one's going to understand you. So different people were giving their interpretations of it. I was like, but everyone's going to think that I'm doing it wrong. So personally, I wasn't happy with the accent. Jeez, poor girl. Poor thing. Yeah. And I mean, this makes it especially hard now knowing what we know about Joss Whedon too. Yeah. Because you can't help but feel like Joss was kind of like, okay, whatever, it's fine. Or whoever was in charge. I mean, ultimately, we see how involved Joss is with every aspect of the show. It's hard to not see that he couldn't have personally or heard her accident and signed off on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, he definitely heard her and was like, this is good enough. This will pass. This will pass the test or whatever. And it's like, for how meticulous you are with your own words being spoken and everything else, why were you not meticulous in the oversight of her accent, you know? I also just like to have a hard time and I can see how this might be how they were thinking. They're like, oh, like our audience who are mostly white people because we have white actors up on stage or up on TV, um, they're not going to understand what you're saying. So we're going to cater to our white audience and make it sound pleasing to them and then they can understand it which is so frustrating it's like people especially in the 90s were so starved of representation and of accurate respectable representation and then to have to whitewash it so that people can understand what you're saying i don't know that's so disrespectful to do that well how frustrating for bianca who has to say those words and nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes so she's the face so she gets the platform it looks Uh bad on her as an actress yep and that i mean maybe that'll cost her more jobs in the future she doesn't know i mean that's just and she auditioned for one thing and it changed and i know things happen like that in the acting world it just because it has to do with a culture and a representation of a culture it's just really frustrating so yeah Anyway, I felt like it was important to share what Bianca Lawson felt about that. Yeah, thank you. So Buffy proposes a truce while they go to Giles to figure out what's going on. Kendra explains that she was sent there by her watcher to kill vampires. So then they go to Willie's place and we see the sun is getting closer to Angel and he seems weaker. And Marty Noxon fully acknowledges that the lock is really wimpy and Angel could probably <laughs> totally rake out of it. Thank but, God. you know, plot device. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the music was really eerie right here. Did you guys catch it? It yeah. was like weird chanting. Yeah, I was like, what the heck is going on, man? It's like angels in trouble. I know. <laughs> it's like actual angels singing. Yeah, I right. Also, like, I think Demonic we talked about angels. this in the last episode, how like, not to spoil anything, but like, as the show progresses, angel, not angels, <laughs> uh, vampires are not as affected by sunlight like if they're in the sunlight obviously they die but like it's just so weird to see angel so like huddled in the corner while there's like like, breathing light is like slowly coming in because like in the rest of the show they you know they tweak it a little bit where it's like only if you're in direct sunlight it affects you um and you can even stand there for a few seconds yeah he's just like huddled in the corner like not trying to like i don't know climb or so, like I don't know, do something like it's well, just very funny. Even in the harvest, like he's standing in more sunlight there than he is. In to be fair, they didn't know he was going to be a vampire, but they like hated that. Looking back on it, yeah, Joss, it drove him nuts when he looked at it. But yeah, anyway, that's okay. It can drive him nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Tad. Well, why is that a zinger? He's literally awful. 
<laughs> it's not like it's a zinger. It's just like coming from you. It's, you know, just is really funny. <laughs> I was going to say harsh, but then I was like, no, every ounce of it is deserved. Yeah. All right. So back in the library, Kendra s- says her watcher is Sam Zabuto, I believe it is. Giles knows who he is. And Kendra is standing this entire sequence at attention. Like the way that she's, she's talking so to Giles, still. looking him straight in the eyes, she's standing very straight. Versus Buffy, who comes in, throws herself in a chair, slouches over and throws her feet to, on the yeah, desk. She has to kick <laughs> her feet off the desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the co- the contrast between the two of them in this the scene is just really funny. Like Kendra's just very put together. She looks very nice. She's got the jewelry on and Buffy's like wearing this crappy flannel that she slept in the night before. <laughs> I know. Hey, I mean, to be fair, she's had like assassins coming after her. I don't blame her for not wanting to change her clothes. No, I'm not blaming her at all. It's just funny. Like there's a very intentional contrast between what they're wearing to kind of showcase their personalities and their slang style in a way it's just really funny the few times that i audibly laughed in this episode the first one was when willa comes in she's like identify yourself and buffy's like back off pink ranger yeah <laughs> willa looks so offended she's like i belong here who are you <laughs> yep um the funny thing is, is that when she says back off pink power ranger the stunt double for buffy sophia crawford was also the stunt double for the pink power ranger what yeah maybe that was a little nod to her probably there are a lot of little nods in this episode of just different things also do you notice how buffy is eyeing kendra up and down very critically like kendra's standing there and buffy's just like looking her from head to toe like it's just interesting to watch buffy be like a little threatened by someone not like in oh she's gonna beat me up but kind of like you're gonna take my job Yeah, you're going to take my job. You're going to take my watcher. Like, who are you to come in here and, like, say you're a slayer? Like, I'm a slayer, you know? It's also interesting to note because she's very critical and snarky with Kendra, which is odd because everything points to Kendra being an actual slayer. And all we've been hearing for the past 22 episodes is that Buffy doesn't want to be a slayer and she wants a normal life. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a little odd because you would think that Buffy would be like jumping at the chance for another Slayer to take over so that she could have a normal life. And I think that it's not that Buffy doesn't want that because we see that later on in the episode that she's kind of like, oh, like this idea is actually kind of nice. But I think it's the initial like kind of jarring aspect of like, oh my gosh, someone's taking over my life. They're taking over my job. Mm. That she's kind of like initially like threatened. But I think the more that she gets to know Kendra and the more that she understands the dynamic, the more she actually looks forward to it and is excited. But I think that she hasn't had time to settle in yet. And right now Mm. she just kind of sees Kendra as a threat. I kind of view it as like doing a clerical job, like like having a job that's like, Oh my gosh, like I hate doing all this work. But then it's like the day that you have to go on vacation, you have to train somebody else to do it. And your mind, you're just like, I hate doing this, but I trust myself to do it. And I'd rather do it because mm-hmm. I know how to do it. So I feel like that's kind of what she's wrestling with right now. Has she loved being a slayer to this point? No. But it, she also knows that it's such a big deal. And so when she sees someone else kind of like threatening the position that she's in, in her mind, she's like, well, I, I feel like I'm a better slayer. I'm a, I feel like I'm a better, like, in all these different categories. So she kind of feels, like, protective of it. It also could be, like, um, what's that term when you're, like, is it, like, graduation goggles? 
Yeah. Or like you're leaving high school and then like mm-hmm. everything that was once crappy now looks good. It also may be that because it's like, because I remember that like when I was leaving one of my last jobs, I like every day I would complain about it. I was like, this shop sucks. I hate it. I don't want to go in. <laughs> and then I remember like on my last day, I was like, I like cried. I was like, I'm going to miss it. Like, <laughs> which is such a lie. Like not a day has passed where I've missed working there. But I just feel like that's kind of part of it is that like Buffy every day is like, I don't want to be a slayer. But then the thought of like, you know, not being a slayer anymore. She's like, oh, shoot. Like someone's going to take my job. Well, I think yeah. there's also like a level of pride there in a good way. I think Buffy is actually kind of proud to be the only Slayer. Like, let's face it. If I was like the Slayer, I'd be like, oh, crap. Like, I have to fight demons and vampires. But then I'd be like, hey, hey I'm actually kind of cool. And I'm the only one that can do this job. <laughs> like, even though it sucks at times, at the same time, you're a little like, I'm special. You know, but like, that's the only thing you have at the end of the day to hold on to because yeah. everything else about the job sucks. sucks. <laughs> yeah, you don't even get money. So I think Buffy's wrestling with that because she's like, I thought I was special. And there's probably a part of her that's like, dang it, that's the only thing I had with this job. Yeah. And then you no. guys lied to me for so long. That's what right. I'm thinking about. Right. You guys lied to me saying that I was the only one, that I was so special. And now here's another one showing up. <laughs> Literally, there's nothing good left about this job. I quit. Yeah. Right. And it's not till like halfway through the episode that Willow brings up, hey, maybe you could retire, that Buffy starts to go, oh, hmm. Like, maybe there's other options out there. Giles kind of calls Buffy out for being a little snarky with Kendra, which I really appreciated. I love the gentle way that Giles does these things because he either gives her a look or just says, like, one or two words to her. But it's, like, you know exactly what he means, but it's very gentle Mm -hmm. without being, like, putting down on her. You know what I mean? He says there must be a misunderstanding and, like, no one's remembering Buffy's death at this point. That's when Willow enters and Kendra's, like, identify yourself And Kendra is completely baffled at the concept that other people know about Buffy's identity, which is really interesting because Mm -hmm. back in the first episode, Welcome to the Hellmouth, Buffy really did try to keep it a secret. And even she was kind of a little bit like, does everybody know my secret? And which is very similar to what Kendra says later on when she finds out that Cordelia and Xander also know. Giles explains that certain civilians know about Buffy's identity and help her and that they hang out socially, which then we kind of get a little glimpse into Kendra's life and that she doesn't understand what friends are because she doesn't have any. And this is where we find out that Kendra is, in fact, actually a slayer because Buffy died for, in her words, just a minute. (laughs) Only a little. (laughs) I love the running gag in this little episode about, like, um, Buffy, like, dying she's like oh that's why you died she yeah. mentions it like two other times they get really snippy with each other which just makes me like as a viewer just so like happy i'm like this is so good i like when we see kind of kendra bite back yeah and uh like tabby mentioned how there's that one point where she's like well that's why you died like because yeah. it's like why wouldn't you say that like their dialogue just seems very natural for like girls their age mm-hmm. Kendra is almost condemning Giles for allowing Buffy to have friends, which I think is really funny. And Giles is like all embarrassed because like he deep down, he knows he's not following the Slayer handbook Mm -hmm. or rule book like step by step. But he's also like in no position to be embarrassed because he's doing things, I think the wise way in that he's training Buffy the best way that she will learn, not necessarily the way that the council wants her to learn. And I think it's interesting because in this episode we see – 
the contrast between like the protocol way and the instinct way. Mm. And I think that Giles is smack dab in the middle of that because you have the part of him that's been trained by the Watcher's Council that has this protocol and this, you know, list of things and ways that he thought it would be to be a Watcher. And you see that come out more when he's with Kendra because like he's very much aware of how he's supposed to train her. But I think that being Buffy's Watcher has made him also rely a lot more on his gut instinct as well because mm. he's learning to adapt to his Slayer. Ooh, that's a good point. So Giles explains what's happening to Willow. Buffy again looks really uncomfortable with the fact that Kendra is also a Slayer. Um, Willow asks if it's possible for there to be more than one Slayer, and Giles says, not to his knowledge. And then finally, it clicks to everybody that, oh, Buffy died. <laughs> Kendra looks like she is not impressed with Buffy, and Giles is completely, I put completely flummoxed. That, you know, he let his slayer die on his watch. <laughs> Buffy looks embarrassed that she died, which I wrote as if that makes you a bad slayer. Because, like, come on. Like, we all know that you die and you have a short lifespan. Like, why would you be embarrassed about dying? The fact the that average. she lived is honestly yeah. kind of impressive. Like, right? I'm going to brag about it. I'd be like, not even death could beat me. <laughs> be like, well, if I didn't die, you wouldn't be here. So, yeah. I wish we knew the stats of like all the the ages of past layers who right. died and how many they there have been. I mean, who knows if we get that in the future? But it's like that'd be so cool to know. Or what the common age was that they yeah. all died at. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So Kendra says she can't leave because her watcher told her that a very dark power is supposed to rise in Sunnydale. Um, and Buffy doesn't understand why Kendra attacked her. And then we have this really clever conversation where, once again, they both Marty Noxon and Joss Whedon do a really good job of giving us information and leading us yes. to the next scene, but doing it in a natural way. Mm. So then Kendra says, I thought you were a vampire. Because Buffy's all like, what are you going to do? Just go attack people like randomly. And Kendra's like, I didn't attack you randomly. I saw you kissing a vampire. And Willow immediately jumps to her defense. <laughs> Buffy would never do that. Oh, except for sometimes you, you do do that. <laughs> <laughs> but only with Angel. And then she's like, right? And Buffy's like, yes, only with Angel. <laughs> <laughs> Then Buffy explains that Angel is good, which this scene cracks me up because Giles is like over there like deep in thought. Like he's so like completely flabbergasted by the fact that Buffy's dying cold Kendra that he has to like sit down and think about it for a hot minute. And then he like breaks his concentration to be like, oh, no. Yeah, Angel's good. (laughs) It's got to be so weird for Kendra to sit there and her like brain has got to be breaking with all this like information. But also observing such like a lax layer, she's like, what is happening over here? <laughs> right. We're all over here like, well, Kendra's so uptight and Kendra's over there like, you guys are all slacking. I know. I know. Well, especially since if you think about it, like all she's ever known is like a watcher being a watcher and not like a father figure. And mm-hmm. so like I think probably to see Giles being so trusting in yeah. Buffy is very new. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the fact that later on she says that that was her only shirt, like, this sounds like this watcher was incredibly strict if he only gave her For one real. shirt. <laughs> Washes it every night. Seriously, what in the world? 
Um, so Kendra does not believe that Angel is good and lets it slip that she did something to him, which Buffy immediately goes into attack mode and like mm-hmm. goes toe to toe with her. Even Giles looks a little concerned too, which I thought was really touching. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Angel breathing heavily. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, I I love the show, but he absolutely <laughs> in one of the scenes had a full face of sunlight on like had a, like his whole face was covered in sunlight i was like come on like you guys aren't even trying at this I point think, i think it's hard because if they're inside like a um a set then there's gonna be lights above them so i think it's hard to differentiate what the like lights are inside the, like the studio and like what's the actual fake sunlight um because you have to be able to see him in general so I think it's probably really hard for them to find the difference between that. But Marty Noxon says that they specifically shot it so you couldn't see Willie dragging Angel through the beam of sunlight to get him out of the cage. <laughs> and I like, where does, why does everywhere in Sunnydale always lead to freaking sewers? Like everywhere. He opens up a lever and then just dumps him. But also, ow, he dropped like seven feet. Well... I would say if this was anywhere else, I'd be like, why does it just lead to the sewer? But it actually makes a lot of sense that Willie's bar would would have a sewer entrance, considering he lets vampires and stuff in his bar. So it makes That's sense true. that he would want an entrance and exit for them, since they can't come in through the normal entrance during the day. Which cracks me up because we clearly saw Angel come in through the front door in the episode before. And it's like, does Angel just not know about those secret passageways? Or like, he is just he, doesn't care. He's too yeah, cool to care. He's trying to be like all human and Spike's over there like, you know, take the sewer. the sewer. Yeah, right. I also just kind of found it funny that they like dumps Angel in there and then all of a sudden his shirt's like completely unbuttoned. And I'm like, okay, I'm not mad about it, but I'm just confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> Marty Knox has specifically said, because she wrote it, she tried to write <laughs> Angel with his shirt off as much as possible. <laughs> yes. The girl doing God's she work. She knew what the audience wanted. His shirt is off the entire episode. <laughs> I know. I'm here for she it. She knew what the audience wanted, man. <laughs> Maybe oh that's why gosh. this episode was really good. You <laughs> just figured it out. Tabby's like, let me tell you, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that's what just really drawn me in. <laughs> Using my words against me. I literally didn't even notice that until now. That's really funny. Oh, We're all word. too smart for this. Well, it's really funny because seriously, listening to the commentary, I mean, Marty gave a lot of really good information, but she was also a little thirsty too in a lot of it. <laughs> I don't blame her. On both James and David. It was just really funny. Dude, their chemistry in this episode. Okay, James Marsters himself killed it. Both him and um, Juliet Lando. 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 Yeah, they both killed it in their characters this episode and their chemistry together. Spike's chemistry with, like, Angel. Like, everything was just, ah, oh, perfect. But also, like, this whole monologue he has with Willie where he's like, Willie's like, what are you going to do with him? He's like, thinking dinner in a movie yeah. don't want to rush into anything i've been I've hurt been you hurt see before. yeah <laughs> so good and he just throws the the money like in the sewer so he has to like pick it up it's just like as someone who's trying to be domineering it was genius yeah i'm pretty sure that this scene right here uh, or the set is the same as the cargo bay that kendra came in it's just the one that they flipped upside down and made to look like a tunnel hmm. remember that from the last episode oh 
So glad you guys remembered Mulvey facts. So they created that cargo bay last episode for Kendra to come into, and it was really expensive, and they decided to repurpose it, and they flipped it upside down and redressed it to make it look like a tunnel. Now I remember. Yep. Everyone else is over there like, come on, Leah, get it together, as they're listening to it back to back. I know. They're like, we remember. I'm like, y'all want my spot? (laughs) So I had to (laughs) – so I (laughs) – so I had <laughs> Y'all Lee's like not lying. Please <laughs> 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 like applications to take Lee's spot. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, if anybody wants to guest, Leah's willing to take a vacation for a week. <laughs> we like in the next giveaway, we give away Leah's spot. That's so funny. <laughs> We're, we're recording our episode and all of a sudden we have like a caller coming in it's like she's like i just want to say this one thing we're like, no way. oh my word Ridiculous. okay okay this scene i'm sorry i have to move us along the scene in buffy's house this the second time i audibly laughed chris mccarpenter <laughs> killed her comedic timing in this scene where she's like talking to the salesperson and she's like, nothing personal, but maybe you should look into selling dictionaries or something. <laughs> he, was like, no. he was like, not making any sense. And then well, she kept asking him questions about colors and other things. And he just kept re- like responding about like the price and everything. And she was like, but okay. If you, if you view it from her perspective as somebody who thinks this is a normal human being, I thought it was genius. Her, her comedic timing was so good. And then Xander comes in the room. And then the way she said the line, okay, bye-bye now. And then just like, <laughs> just like kicked him out. I thought it was so funny. I was like, Chris, well, you killed it. Yeah, no, it was it was very enjoyable to watch her be like completely oblivious, but then also kind of <laughs> clue in and then just be like, okay, you can leave now. But could you imagine a salesperson who's like middle age just stares at you and says like nothing and he's supposed to be a salesperson? Yeah. I'd be so weirded out. I'd be like, are you trying to sell me? Like, And then you see a worm like crawl up his arm <laughs> and then across his face. No, I no. Okay, I have to say the CGI or whatever <laughs> graphics for this scene are god awful like <laughs> the worm like crawling across his face like come on man. like i i literally i was sitting there i was like i could excuse so many graphics in this show but like that one i think was like the tip of the iceberg man i was like come on like, dude it's 1998 this is like the pinnacle of cgi at this point well not really but it it's pretty close terrible like i've had dreams that looked more realistic than that one. <laughs> but awful. which is funny because the episode before you see the the bugs like forming in his hand and it actually looked decent but then they have one bug to crawl across the face and it looks stupid no yeah it's it's weird because like when he combines himself as like all the worms it doesn't look that fake but for some reason animating one worm was way more difficult than animating like a thousand they break their budget with that one worm yeah they're like we want this scene to look really sick and it (laughs) looks just terrible my guess is probably what they did is instead of letting the worm crawl naturally, they just had a worm sit still and then they just moved it like didn't really. <laughs> and so then it looked really fake versus it's if like they just let the worm it's like pixelated, it just like <laughs> like skips. Exactly. It, that's what it looks like though. So okay, oh my so gosh. 
they, Marty kind of gave a little bit of a reason for that is they actually had to go and like audition bugs. And I don't mean like they had to give lines. She had to go like pick out – they're called stunt worms. I'm not even joking. She had to go pick out stunt worms. Like and train their whole life like Kendra? Yeah. <laughs> Separated from their family. Some of them like pass out because they're so nervous. But she so said funny. they picked these worms in particular because they were supposed to be really fast, right? Well, the problem is – in the studio, under the hot lights, the worms got lethargic and didn't want to move at all. <laughs> they so got it, nervous. Yeah. So in Stay all these shots where like you see them coming underneath the doors and stuff, they had to speed up the film because <laughs> the worms were not moving at all. Like they were really slow. So she's like, we could have picked slower worms at, for cheaper and like still sped them up. Like it made no sense to get the fastest worms or whatever. So yeah. Anyway. so funny. It is really funny. So they see the worm guy explode into worms. They run into the basement and worms come underneath. Cordelia finds tape here. I don't do worms. <laughs> I know. I laughed so hard because like Xander's like taking care of things or whatever. And she just hands I, d- I don't do worms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like about right. to die. Yeah, they're like literally about to die. And she's like, nah, you can do it, Sandra. <laughs> she can't be bothered to do anything yet. Oh my gosh. I died. Could you imagine if that's what their idea was in like – um? nightmares where like xander sees like the killer clown he's like mm, i don't do clowns gets killed like <laughs> yeah like you have to do something yeah it doesn't work here in this universe cordelia you actually have to you know fight back <laughs> yeah. so in willie's place again buffy and kendra burst in and kendra immediately i thought this was interesting so this very much kind of highlights the difference between the two of them buffy's very emotional and instinctual and kendra's very matter of fact look for the evidence around and stuff and so kendra immediately goes and looks for ash as well buffy calls out angel's name and looks around for him which i thought was really interesting um and then also how like kendra still is looking down on buffy and Kendra is like very irritated and has to like explain that vampires turn into ashes. And Buffy's like, yes, I know that. <laughs> um, then Willie pops in while they're in the middle of their argument. And Kendra immediately wails on him. I just love this line. This one is dirty. I can feel it. And I can just like, hear it in her voice. <laughs> I love it. Um, Buffy asks where Angel is. Willie says he saved him, that Angel wants to stay underground to recover, but Buffy suspects that he's lying. Willie, I swear on my mother's grave, should something bad happen to her? (laughs) Kendra is like, all right, we can return to Giles for orders now. Yeah, do you like this moment? (laughs) Buffy, I don't take orders. Kendra, no wonder you died. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I was still laughing at my joke. (laughs) She said, oh, my worm. Oh, did you say, oh, my worm? Good grief, Leah. You're taking my job with the puns here. But I love that they gave Kendra, like, these really cool bits of dialogue. Like, no wonder you died. Like, yeah, that's what we all would be thinking right now. You know, maybe, you know, you not listening to orders and doing things all on your own is what killed you, which it's not really. But, you know, from Kendra's perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. So then Willie asks the girls that they want to do modeling, classy nude modeling. So I just want to say – Ew. Ew, Stop. first of all. Second of all, knowing now what we know about Joss, Joss wrote this line and put it in. Marty did not write this line. Yeah. And it was interesting because as Why? we were listening to the commentary – because he thought it was funny. So it was interesting <laughs> because as we were listening to the commentary – 
Um, my husband was listening with me, and Marty talked about how she goes when she was explaining how it came to be. She goes, something happened. I don't remember the exact way that she said it, but she's like, I came to realize like this was actually going to be a common thing. Like she didn't say it unkindly or like she was irritated at all or anything, but she basically said like that is the line that everybody came up to her and would always say that is the funniest line. Like so many people thought it was really funny, and she kept being like, man it's not my line, it's Joss's line. And so like she said, she became very familiar with the fact that Joss would go back and rewrite things in her script. Um, and it typically was funnier than anything she could write. And a lot of people would come up to her about it and she'd always have to be like, oh, I didn't write it. And so as we were like listening to her talk about it, Andrew turned to me and my husband and said, oof, that that hits different now knowing everything that we know about Joss. Because granted, Joss is brilliant in his writing and it's very funny and witty and like enjoyable and stuff. But I wonder how much like that affected Marty, like knowing that like not all of her words were like I wanna be I don't want to like speculate too much about what happened during that time and stuff, but knowing what we know now about how he treated female writers, it just comes off as super sus that he interjected so much into Marty's script. And even though she doesn't seem salty or bitter or anything about that, it just is a bummer to me that like she, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's trying to get any credit where he can. So I feel like putting any joke in there that he thinks that will land um, he'll get any credit for it. So, like, in an episode that is phenomenal, like, What's My Line Part 2, if he throws in something he knows will get a reaction, he'll be remembered for that, and he'll be able to tell people and get credit for that, even though he didn't write the episode. It's a kind of awful, weird joke, and that, like... It's not even it, funny, in my opinion. And that it makes sense that he would write a joke like that, because it's kind of just objectifying <laughs> for no reason. Marty also said that, um... They were able to get away with a lot of sexual humor in situations because it was a fantasy show that mm. there is a lot of censors that would come up for other shows that weren't fantasy. Um, but with this one, they kind of got away with a lot, which I thought was really interesting. So Drusilla's bedroom, this is a gorgeous shot of her yeah. underneath the lace. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because the lace is kind of like this white off-white color, but the way that the light falls on it, it looks like black lace and like over her face until you come down and then you realize that it's white. And I thought that was just kind of like a really cool symbolism for Drusilla. I yeah. thought it was really interesting because I think that, Sarah, I think you were the one that mentioned this at some point in the podcast where you said that like, Almost everything that Drusilla says in metaphors like correlates with something that Buffy is doing. But I thought it was really interesting that Drusilla mentions that she had like a nightmare. And then I think the line that she says is there were worms in my baguette, mm -hmm. which is so interesting because if you think about where Cordelia and Xander mm -hmm. are, there's like this weird worm man after them. And so I thought it was like really interesting that they put that line in there. I also love the fact that she's, like, taking a nap and sleeping. And Spike has to wake her up because he literally has Angel with him. But he just decides to lie down and kind of, like, gently, like, slowly bring her back into, like, the world of the living. Um, <laughs> whereas he could literally just come in and be like, Drew, wake up. You know? But it's like he comes down and lies down with her. I kind of view it as, like, a coming down on her level and, like, mutual respect. It's like he's lying down with her and then kind of, like, wakes up with her and then, like, gets up off the bed. It's not like he's, like, domineering over her, which would totally be fine, but I'm just 
I feel like it's kind of like a good symbolism of their relationship, which is really ironic because they're evil and yet they have so much respect for each other and they're actually ironically really healthy of a couple. So I just thought it was like really sweet and really showed like the depths of their relationship by how he woke her up. Yeah, absolutely. And it ties into the last episode where he like is practically in tears mm-hmm. in in her lap because he doesn't know if he can save her. And it's interesting, I wrote down that there's kind of a correlation between Spike and Buffy in this episode. Because, yes, I wrote that too. Yeah, okay. So Buffy is trying to save Angel. Spike is just trying to save Drusilla. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just really, it's really clever how like they're both motivated by the person they care about most. Um, And this scene right here is just really interesting and even like the next few ones because Spike brings Angel. He says, you're a sire, my sweet. And then they talk about how all they need is the full moon to fully restore Drusilla. Spike calls her his black goddess, his ripe, wicked plum. (laughs) I think he wins with pet names for this one. Yeah, Yeah, he is. He's like overly poetic. And no Drusilla's like love. eating it up. Yeah. Drew's like, he's okay, like, I don't need like, to call the plum. blueberry sugar plum. And like, <laughs> Angel's just in the corner like, can you just kill me, please? <laughs> As he's sitting next to Miss Edith, who's blindfolded, he's like, can I be blindfolded? Yeah. <laughs> right. did, did you just get that from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang when like the queen is like singing to the king, you're my sweet little sugar plum? Oh my plum. gosh, no, I forgot, I forgot about, about that. that song. That's he's trying to kill her. traumatized me. <laughs> I did not need to remember that. That That was so raunchy for such a kid's movie. I know. He's like objectifying her, grabbing her, and then just trying to kill her at the same time. The weirdest scene I've ever seen. Anyway, moving along. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious that they just start making out while Angel's laying next to Miss Edith. (laughs) I was like, also. And you see him kind of like flinch and close his eyes because he doesn't want to see it. I don't blame him. Also, Spike and Drusilla's bed is wooden. Like, they like to live dangerously. Like, could you imagine living in the one thing that could kill you? (laughs) It makes sense for them, though. That's true. They kind of flirt with danger. So Drusilla wants Angel until the next full moon. Spike looks a little uncomfortable with this, but he loves her a lot, so he doesn't want to tell her no. It makes her promise not to kill him. And she says, you've been a very bad daddy, which is interesting because it's obviously sexual, but he well, it's also like a is- sire. Yeah, he's her sire, mm-hmm. so he created her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marty Noxon said something that I thought was very interesting I hadn't thought about before. She said, sires have a special power over the vampires they make. She says, it's a familial relationship. So in a lot of ways, Angel is like Drusilla's father because he created who she is. So we're watching Drusilla kind of come on to Angel. And it's a very twisted kind of way of looking at their relationship. It's very perverse, where it should be more of like maybe a father-daughter relationship is how the vampires like describe it. It's kind of this weird sexual, I don't know. It's just all, it's all very creepy and very weird and twisted, but yeah. Um, also then the, Marty said that they looked for reasons to take David's shirt off and she's like, don't worry, there is more coming at the end of this episode. And I was like, calm down, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> so at the school, this shot is really clever because it's actually one long continuous shot and it's, it's really beautiful. It's actually shot at on location at Torrance High School. And Marty said that they had trouble getting extras because a lot of their extras tend to overact. Um, and then she said a lot of the extras you see on the show, or not a lot, but several of the extras that you see 
actually stay with the show for several seasons. And so they'll come back every episode just to be extras. And they actually end up being in the show for like, you know, several seasons, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, Giles has talked with Kendra's watcher and Kendra will stay until they deal with Spike and Drew. Buffy's not thrilled, but Kendra ignores her and asks Giles if he thinks Spike is reviving Drew. And it's interesting because you have Kendra and Giles in the front and then Buffy and Willow in the back and you're watching like them talk, but then Buffy and Willow keep giving each other looks like here she goes again. She's talking. I also thought it was funny because like Buffy is just so used to like the way that things are done that Kendra is like trying to catch up. And so you have Kendra who's like, okay, so we take down Spike. And then Buffy goes, yes, let's go charge. And like, I, that's I another part I audibly laughed so at. Hard. Oh, I know. It's, it's funny because I think that Buffy's also used to being the one that's consulted with Giles and she's watching Giles talk to Kendra in a way that she's normally used to being talked to. And I think that it's just really weird for her. When she talks to Willow after this kind of shows how she's been feeling like it. And she says this in more words than I will right now, but she basically says that, um, she thinks that Giles wishes that she was more like Kendra and that like Kendra was something that he thought that he was going to get as a slayer. Um, and you kind of see her kind of relent a little bit with her power as a slayer. She's like, well, maybe like Kendra will be like a good alternative if she stays here. Like she can be like the main slayer. I don't think she's fully believed it yet. Cause I don't think she like has fully thought about it, but she's like, oh, like maybe this could be a possibility. Yeah. This whole scene, you kind of just see Buffy realizing that Giles hasn't trained her like a normal slayer. And then Mm -hmm. she starts to feel insecure and thinks, is there something wrong with me? Then you see Kendra kind of put Buffy down by saying, oh, I bet you you're a cheerleader. And um, it's just, it's interesting to see Buffy like not in her element in an area that she normally is completely in her element. Um, And the conversation with Will, I think it's very intuitive of Willow to watch Buffy talking and realize what she's actually trying to say, what she actually is feeling. Because mm. Buffy's saying, oh my goodness, like, I uh, I should be a book geek. And Willow's like, oh, what you really mean is you think that Giles is going to replace you with Kendra. And you're never, that's never going to happen. And I think that there's probably a part of Buffy that feels like maybe she won't have a relationship with Giles if she's not the Slayer anymore, because we've seen that they've really bonded as father and daughter in a lot of ways. And so I think that you would, you couldn't help but think that Buffy would be like, is that relationship going to change if somebody else becomes the Slayer, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, Buffy finally says what she's thinking. She's like, I have thought about Kendra taking over after everything with Spike and Drew, but she also seems conflicted. For once, she can have a normal life, but you're also watching Buffy go, that seems so boring now. Is that what I actually would want? Mm. So back in Buffy's basement, um, which they actually built this set just for this episode, uh, Cordy wants a plan. Xander thinks Buffy will save them. Cordy, how will Buffy know where to find us? Xander. Cordelia, this is Buffy's house. Odds are she'll find us. <laughs> they killed it. Both like Nicholas Brendan and Kristen Carpenter, their chemistry in the scene, their banter was flawless. Like they yep. did so good. They have such a nervous energy around each other. And it's funny because 
I think we've all kind of read it as they're uncomfortable around each other because they don't like each other, but we're realizing it's actually like sexual tension. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they get in each other's throats and into each other's faces. Cordy says, I would rather be worm food than look at your pathetic face. Xander tells her to go. Cordelia says, you would let a girl go die. And Xander says, not just any girl. You're You're special. special. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Then they kiss. And the orchestra music that goes on while they're kissing is so funny. The show is so self-aware. It knows exactly what it's doing. And it just cracks me up. We so need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And they've all just like run up the stairs. <laughs> um, so they run up the stairs, remove the tape, don't see the worms. And as they make a dash for the front door, a bunch of bugs rain down on Cordelia, which these worms Ew. are not real worms. It's they're so made out of gross. Yeah, they're pretty gross. These worms are made out of erasers. Um, hmm. Yeah. But the worms that cover Cordelia when she goes out the front door are real worms. And apparently Charisma Carpenter did not want – like she was a trooper and did it, but she was not happy about having to do it and then getting sprayed down with water, Ew. which – can you blame her? I th- Okay. Although that sucks that she had to go through it, this scene was so funny to me. I don't know what it is, but she put some magic voodoo in her acting in this episode. But I was just like – I was so drawn in like every like – Everything she did, I thought was so funny. Cause like, he's like spraying her for extra lung and then she stops freaking out and she just stands there and she's like, Sander, okay. Like, that's good. Let's go. Like, she well, Sander's so face, good. he's like so in the zone as he's trying yeah. to get every last worm <laughs> off of her. Like, you could see his face. Uh-huh. It was so funny. And obviously I butchered her lines, but like her, like her mixture of like annoyed, like panic um frustration is all like wrapped up into one and she's just like come on let's go like i'm good let's go it's so yeah. good and then the queen sea as she drives off in the image of cordy uh-huh. with bugs in her hair and she's all wet driving her queen sea car is just yeah. yeah it's chef's kiss it's perfect all right so back at school buffy's going to look at the law enforcement and environmental design booths because apparently she put that she likes shrubs the last episode which cracks me up and oz why? I think Seth Finally. Green is such a little cutie, but I think his dark brown hair is his best look with a clean shaven face and his like dark hair. I think he looks so cute. But like this whole scene, like this is the first time we've really seen like mm-hmm. an actual conversation with Oz and he's just like so cute. Mm-hmm. Seriously, like I don't find Seth Green conventionally handsome, but I think that he's actually super hot as Oz. Yeah, I <laughs> and know. I think so it's cute. cute. He's a good guy and he's genuine. And like, and that's saying a lot in an episode where David Boreanaz has his shirt off the entire time. I know. <laughs> like he literally he just, just like, holds his own. And like Willow and Oz together are just so cute. Like yeah, their they interactions really are. is so sweet. And you know someone's a good character or a good guy when I forget all the time that he took a bullet for Willow. That's how you know he's a good guy because he has other credentials to show how good of a guy he is. That I forget that he literally took a bullet for her when he had just met her like that day. Oz is literally like the MVP of the Buffyverse, like hands down. I think he's the best male character. I but- love him. His little sweet response when Will's like, your hair's brown. He's like, oh, yeah, sometimes. Ah, so cute. cute. I love him. 
Yeah. And then they have a conversation about whether Willa decides to take that corporate job they were looking at the last episode. And she says no. And Oz is like, no, me neither. I don't like jobs. And then he talks about chords, like how he plays guitar chords. And Willow, like she's trying so hard to understand what he's talking about, but she looks completely lost. (laughs) And meanwhile, Buffy is at the law enforcement desk and gets shot at by, we later find out her name is Patrice. Oz then takes that bullet for Willow. And Marty Noxon made a comment, which I actually was thinking while I was watching it, that this scene is really hard to watch now with the whole theme Mm -hmm. of school shootings and stuff that has become just even more prevalent since this aired. Um, Marty even says that she doesn't think that this would be – like that they would be allowed to do an episode with guns in schools now. And she was doing this commentary back when season five of Buffy was shooting. So that's, you know, three years later, like Columbine had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And she goes – it's very jarring for even her to watch. Um, And yeah, and I just – I think this is really sad. Um. But yeah, so they said this scene was a very complicated scene to film just because there's a lot of moving parts. And apparently there was an extra that was being a butt in this scene who was like way overacting to the point where they had to like cut certain scenes out and like reframe shots because the extra was so bad. I can't imagine how annoying that that person or just being that person that like screws up the scenes so much that you have to cut them out. Like, gosh. Yeah. Buffy tackles the officer and who draws another gun. This woman has like weapons everywhere. She has two guns and a knife on her. She draws another gun and then like she's about to shoot Buffy and Kendra attacks. And then the lady grabs the knife and then grabs Jonathan. Poor Jonathan. (laughs) Of course. It's always Jonathan. (sighs) Jonathan and holds a knife to his throat and then leaves when she sees that Kendra and Buffy are standing there and Kendra chases her down, which Marty said that Danny Strong, who plays Jonathan, was their guy that they used whenever they needed a victim. And it became like an inside joke in the cast. And it took several episodes for the audience to kind of clue and be like, hey, you're using the same guy every time. (laughs) So genius. And I just love Danny Strong. Anything he's in, he's genius in. But his... I don't know if this is wrong of me to laugh at, but his little like ignorance and innocence played both together in the scene where he's like unsure of what's happening and then just like really confused. And then after it's been like, was that part of like a presentation? Or <laughs> he like <laughs> just is so laughing. unaware. I know. Well, Marty said they picked him because his face looked like so victimized all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He does it perfectly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh Jonathan. So funny. Or like when they go back over to um, Oz and like Willow's like, you've been shot. And he's like, yeah, I've been shot. It's odd. <laughs> it's like, what the? <laughs> Who reacts to getting shot like that? He's so cool. He's like, I'm shot. Wow, it's odd and painful. And painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then Kendra comes back, says the assassin got away in the library. Buffy tells Giles what went down, which, okay, what the heck? Giles didn't hear gunshots and come right? running. Like, He's like so it- in his own little world. He's oh, like, my word. I mean, it's not surprising at all, but I just want to say I'm guessing Miss Calendar is probably taking some sort of sabbatical because I would guess that she would definitely be there. Miss Calendar would walk in like with a gun of her own, like, <laughs> locked up. So Giles's first response to all that is, is Oz okay? Which I thought was really kind. Mm-hmm. And then Cordelia and Xander walk in all wet and Cordelia just does not look happy. Um, and this, the scene 
Xander looks immediately at Kendra, is like he's taken by her, and he was just making out with Cordelia. I know. Yeah, yeah. Giles apologizes for being rude. He's like, Giles is doing everything in this moment. And he's like over there, like trying to gather information. He's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he like introduces everyone as he's like scurrying around to do damage control. Ever polite. Um, Cordelia, hi, nice to meet you. As she like walks by as if she (laughs) couldn't care less. (laughs) Bianca's performance is so cute. She just is so sweet and like innocent and like really shy. She just plays this like so delicately you had inca mommy girl who was like thousands of years old and then now you have uh kendra kendra thank you i forgot her name like now you have kendra who like has never talked to a boy in her life like it just it gives me the creeps that they kind of keep giving him love interests that are like mentally not aware I think that, like, Kendra is confident. I just don't think that she's very socially aware, which is completely fair because she's not been around people. But also, like, I don't think that Kendra is a love interest for Cinder. Yeah, I mean, there could be something to that, but I think it's two people. And we had Miss French, and then now we have Cordelia. So I don't know that it's necessarily a pattern. I think it's more of a pattern of Xander likes girls that are in power positions. He likes powerful women, Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But he says, so you're a slayer, huh? I like that in a woman, which Mm -hmm. is like, ew, yuck. So he's instantly attracted to Kendra because she's a slayer. And it's like – Which is creepy when Buffy's literally in the room. Oh, yeah. You notice how Buffy's He doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Marty Noxon's commentary right here was really interesting. She says that Kendra has been raised to essentially be a weapon. She has not been raised to have friends, family, life other than to simply be a slayer, the ultimate weapon. And she says these words. She says, Xander is an opportunist. And I was like, that is a good word for him. She goes, he was just making out with Cordelia and he sees Kendra and is all like, oh, hey, maybe I can make some time with you. But she kind of laughs it off, which I think is just a product of the 90s kind of brushing those things off as like, oh, that's just funny. That's just who they are versus now. I think it's not as well accepted. Um, so Buffy put Xander in his place by reminding him about the mantis lady right after that, which I was like, go Buffy. (laughs) She's like, you and bug Xander. What's up with that? Yep. And he's very touchy about that. Um, Buffy actually seems really grateful to Kendra for saving her life, which I feel like this is kind of the turning point in the episode with their relationship, Mm -hmm. um, by Buffy kind of acknowledging and extending an olive ranch. Uh, Giles has discovered more info on Drew's cure. The ritual requires her sire. Kendra realizes that the new moon is that night and Buffy puts two and two together that they need Angel. Um, It's also interesting to note that Buffy didn't tell the gang about Angel siring Drew. Like that's something that she kept to herself. I mean, to Um, be fair, I think that Angel telling Buffy that was very personal. mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that it would have been a little odd if she was like, hey, guys, guess what my boyfriend told me yesterday? Like, it's a very traumatic thing for him to kind of like think about. And so I think that she was kind of being courteous to him. Yeah, absolutely. No, it totally makes sense. And then Xander, man, that guy got major neck in his day. Willow hits him pretty hard. I I know. Mm -hmm. All these girls are putting him in his place. And it's just it's really very soothing to watch. 
Then Buffy asks Giles if the ritual will kill him, and when he says yes, immediately wants to know where the church is, where the ritual will go down. Kendra wants the priority to be stopping Drusilla, and Xander, to his credit, says, Angel's our friend, except I don't like him. Yeah, (laughs) but I I like how his initial, like, if you notice his initial reaction was like, Angel's our friend. And then he, like, kind of caught himself and was like, oh, shoot, I don't like Angel. But it was like he still had the sense to recognize that, like, Angel was a good guy, regardless of his attachment to Buffy. Like, Angel did not deserve to die. So I like that we're seeing at least a little bit of growth in Xander. Yeah, absolutely. So then Buffy reminds Kendra, and she's right in doing this. She says, our priorities mesh. Kendra agrees reluctantly to help her, and Buffy says, I've had it. You can attack me. You can ascend assassins after me. Talking about Spike. That's fine, but nobody messes with my boyfriend. <laughs> very yep. cute. Which Marty Noxon made a really interesting observation. She says it's very hard for them to find a motivation that's strong enough for Buffy because she's such a strong and powerful character herself. Um, so they often have to resort to using people that she loves as motivation. And Angel just happens to be that for this episode well honestly it was kind of smart too because they already had it set up that and we just found out that angels drew sire so i feel like it's kind of easy to kind of figure out a storyline for that where they'd have to use angel's blood or angel somehow yeah um, to help drew because we already know that drew's like not mentally at her All fullest there. yeah so this episode, like, I feel like it, not that I could predict it, but it, it made complete sense from what we had been learning. It didn't feel like a stretch at all. It was still brilliantly done. And like, there was many different aspects to it. But I was like, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, not to mention, we already know that Kendra has an issue with Angel. So it putting him in kind of like the crosshairs yeah. definitely creates a conflict between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's just another way that Kendra's like, okay, your life is so strange. Like you're a vamp or you're a slayer who's in love with a vampire. Like of all the weird things that you let slide in your life, of all things, that's just the weirdest. So in Drew's bedroom, she's singing the lamb song that her mom sang to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we heard that in Halloween. And she's torturing Angel with holy water. And she's also torturing him by memories and stories of her family. When I said earlier that I I feel so stupid because I literally have never noticed this conversation before. And how many times have you watched this? I don't know how sometimes how like I missed it. But like she's literally talking about him like killing her family members. And I remember when we when I rewatched Lie to Me or maybe you see the Lie to Me or Ho- Halloween where he tells her I think it's Lie to Me where he tells her that he like tortured her and killed her family and stuff. I remember thinking, I was like, oh, like, I don't know if we ever really talk about that. And so when she like, it's a genius because she's using that to torment him because he now has a soul. And so it can affect him. Oh, she's like, say uncle. Oh, that's right. You killed my uncle. I was like, oof. Yikes. Yeah, she mentions her little sister's name. She talks about how they used to eat cake and eggs and yeah. honey. She has a weird mixture of, anger and glee in torturing him like you can tell like the way that she talks about them it's almost like she doesn't care but then she does care like it's just this really weird back and forth i think what gives it away is her eyes like she'll be like saying something really awful and it sounds like she doesn't really care but then her eyes look like she's about to cry 
Marty says that the welts were causing David real pain, something about the mixture. So the redness on his chest in this scene is actually very real. He was actually oh, pretty no uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So back in the library, I just love this. This might be my favorite quote of the entire episode. Giles, 43 churches in Sunnydale. Isn't that excessive? Willow, it's the extra evil vibe of the Hellmouth. Makes people pray harder. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. It totally does. So they check on ones that are closed or abandoned while Cordelia and Xander are checking out the Order of Taraka. Buffy's sharpening stakes and Kendra is looking down on Buffy for having so many people know of her identity. And this is kind of like the correlation that I made earlier about Welcome to the Hellmouth, where Buffy was like, man, does everybody know my identity? So Kendra picks up a crossbow and Buffy cautions her. Kendra's like, I know how it works, and then shoots the lamp. Her response is what I really appreciate. She humbly says, hmm, that's different than what I'm used to, and then says, maybe when this is all over, you can teach me, which I was like, oh, and this is Kendra kind of extending that olive branch back to Buffy. I think, and like before she says that, before she even accidentally sets it off, she says, I'm an expert in all weapons. It wasn't like a, oh, psh, I got this. It was like she felt like she was prepared. And so when they went off, I feel like, like Sarah said, it the easiest things to be like, well, I, I'm not versed with these and like, you know, making excuses, but it's very like humble for her to be like, like, oh, like I'd for love for you to like teach me things I've never had to like go through. And I think she's yeah. also recognizing that she needs to grow. I think up until this yeah. point, like she probably was the best of what she was doing, but like now she actually does need help. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a beautiful picture of women supporting and helping women. Like it's so easy to portray two women who are very powerful as enemies and to pit them against each other. And we're seeing these two girls that probably would normally be enemies simply by the fact that they both have a calling and are used to being the only one um, and seeing them realize that they need each other and that they can actually help each other. So Xander finds information on the bug man only can be killed when he's broken down into his parts and then mansplains it to Cordelia. <laughs> they fight. Giles looks done with it all. He's like sitting there rubbing his eyes. It's so funny. Kendra, your life is very different than mine. The things that you have, I was taught, distract me from my calling, mm. friends, school, even family. And then Buffy says, even family. And we find out that Kendra was sent to her watcher when she was very young and doesn't even remember her family, that calling is taken seriously in her culture and that they thought they were doing the right thing for her and for the world. Um, and she tells Buffy like not to feel sorry for her and says emotions weaken her. And Buffy's like, no, they give me strength. Yeah. And Kendra's like, no, I want an even mind. I think it's interesting that we've talked about how Buffy is very like a very passionate person and that's what drives her and stuff. And I think that it's interesting that we're seeing a contrast. And I this is one of the things that I want to talk about was that like I think that the reason why Kendra like talks about how she doesn't want to feel emotions and stuff like that because she thinks it clouds her judgment is because I think that if she allowed herself to feel emotions, I think that she would realize how sad her life is. And mm. I think that's kind of like depressing to think about, mm. but it's like her life is very empty. And I think that if she doesn't focus on emotions, she doesn't focus on how empty her life is. 
I think it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to be able to use it as assets as Buffy does. I think since Kendra has been so far removed from that part of her life, if she were to tap into it now, I think it would be like so overconsuming that she wouldn't be able to how to control it. And I think that it would end up controlling her. And I think she wouldn't be able to use it in the best way that she could. I think it takes time to be able to like understand yourself and then be able to use it because sometimes people can get so caught up in the moment, they get blinded and it might like hurt her in the process. And we've seen this like told to us and now we're actually seeing it that Buffy is unique because she has all those things. And I think we've talked about it before how Buffy lives longer than most other slayers because she has those people. And so she actively is fighting for those people and wants to live in the world. If you live in a world where you don't have friends and family, what are you fighting for? Um, And so I think that that's another example of it being a strength and not a weakness because Buffy actually has loved ones that she cares about, that she wants to live. And so that's why she gets up and keeps fighting even when it's hard, you know? Um, because yes, it is good to have a purpose and it is good to say, Hey, I'm saving the world, but sometimes that can be defeating and sometimes that can be not enough. And so even if you're doing things for the right reasons, if you don't have a personal tangible thing to cling to that motivates you, then there's no reason for you to live in the world. So that's what I think of when Buffy says that it gives her strength. Not only do her emotions give her strength, but those connections give her strength as well. Um, yeah. And then Buffy says, power isn't enough. A good fighter needs imagination and the ability to improve or to improvise. And then she kind of baits Kendra to getting angry and then tells her that the anger gives her fire. Mm. Um, and then Xander comes in, gets all tongue tied when Xander's there again. Then we cut to Drusilla's bedroom again. And this is a really interesting scene. Mm-hmm. So Spike is ready to take Angel But Angel tries to stall, and by doing so, he implies that Drew likes foreplay, that they Mm. had a sexual relationship in the past, which now it's Angel's turn to be baiting Spike, which we as the viewer don't know. We aren't quite sure what Angel's doing initially. Um, He offers pointers, and Spike gets so angry that he rips the post off the bed to kill Angel, but Drusilla steps in, and Spike realizes that Angel wanted to die so that Drusilla wouldn't get restored. Um, but what I think is really interesting is that Spike calls Angel Angelus in this moment, which I think is clever because this is, I think, probably the closest we've gotten to what Angelus actually acts like um, in the entirety yeah. of the show. I think it's reminding Spike of who Angelus was. And so I think he reacted emotionally and viewed him as the same as who he used to be, which again is genius because it's subtleties like that where you're like, oh, we haven't seen Angelus, but by him naturally calling him Angelus when he is apparently acting like he used to, it's such a dynamic scene. It really draws you in and very naturally too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at Willie's place, Willie isn't giving anything up. Kendra, just hit him, Buffy. (laughs) Willie thinks that he has information that would be helpful. And fun fact, Marty said that the bottles that Buffy slams Willie up against aren't actually made out of glass. They're made out of sugar. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I've heard of that before on sets. That's just really cool. Willie's like, hey, I can take you to where Angel is. And Kendra's like, all right, no, now we need to return to Giles because it's procedure. It says Angel clouds Buffy's judgment. 
that she's a fool for not letting him die. They part ways as Buffy leaves without her. I think it's interesting that if Buffy hadn't had followed her gut, Angel probably would have died. Hmm. And so it's like, it's interesting seeing that like, yes, Buffy is rash and sometimes she makes impulsive decisions, but a lot of times it pays off in her favor. Yeah, well... I did not know this, but fun fact. So there's apparently a scene that was never recorded, but it was in the script where Buffy and Kendra have a conversation where Buffy's like, we're going to have an argument in front of Willie. And because she's like, I know he's going to lead me into a trap. And so pretend like you're not going to join up with me and I will go and we'll let Willie double cross me and then you will come in and – uh, catch them all by surprise. So apparently Buffy and Kendra, that was a fake fight in that bar. And Kendra was always planning on following them and surprising them. Isn't that interesting? Huh. I wonder if that was still canon, like if they just decided not to show it or if it was like they decided to have it where it was a real argument. That's yeah. really interesting. I don't know. Either way, like it it doesn't change too much of the end result in the episode, but it definitely is kind of an interesting way of looking at the whole scenario. So, yeah. That is really interesting because I feel like it was very in character of I – I wanted to say Bianca. That's her real name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very in character of Kendra to question Angel being a vampire. So I didn't think it was like out of character or like um, her faking it in the moment. So that's really interesting. They initially wanted that to be well, but they had an argument, almost an identical conversation when they were back at Willie's right before, where Buffy says, "I don't take orders." When Kendra wanted to go back to Giles, and then they have the conversation in the library where Kendra says, "Yes, I'm with you. I will help you." So it would stand to reason that they would be united to go help Angel because Kendra had already agreed to help Angel. So it would make no sense for them to have this argument yet again. So I tend to lean more towards they've already had the secret agreement to go and Mm. have Kendra sneak up. But either way, it's just, yeah, it's kind of clever. So Willie is two-faced snitch, Willie the snitch, and leads Buffy into the Order of Taraka and Spike's Vamps at the church. Apparently this was a real church that they filmed in. They just Mm. added stuff to it to make it look like a Buffy set yeah spike is calling on elagor bringer of war and grand obscenity (laughs) has angel and drusilla tied together and is holding a cross upside down as he stabs their hands together ouch (laughs) that looked painful yeah which drusilla looks like she's loving it all which we're kind of seeing a common theme of drusilla really liking pain and then spike right then we'll just let them come to a simmering boil and remove to a low flame (laughs) Might be my second favorite line of the episode. Willie and the gang burst in. Willie is excited that he has the Slayer, but Spike's first reaction, which is really noteworthy, is fear and frustration, which Spike is not stupid. He's going, okay, you do not bring the Slayer here. You go kill her like I told you to, but you do not bring her to me, which shows that he now has like a healthy level of fear and respect for Buffy. He like knows if she's going to muck anything up, she will. I put he's done underestimating Buffy, which is kind of refreshing. Buffy sees Angel with the life slowly leaving him. Spike tells her that he will be dead in five minutes, then orders Patrice to kill her. Marty notes that Buffy initially thought that that Angel was dying, that it was too late for him. So that look that you see on her face is her thinking that there's no hope for Angel, which is really Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. 
Um, okay. So I wanted to pause real fast and talk about the music in this episode because it kind of, um, leads into the rest of season two. So we talked about how the music for season two is very different from season one. And part of that is because of Christoph Beck, but they also have a couple of other composers that helped out as well. So in the book, music, sound and silence from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they talk about percussive action music. And they say the final or penultimate act of the show, which is typically the more action-filled scene, has this kind of music. They tried to make it as different from the romantic leitmotif music that you hear in other parts, like at the end of Lie to Me when Giles is talking to Buffy with the violins and everything, or even like Buffy and Angel's theme. It typically has a lot of percussion and dissonance as Buffy fights the villain of the week, and it's filled with lots of brass and has the polyrhythmic accompaniment of the piano or another instrument. So it's something that you'll hear pretty much for the rest of season two. Every time there's that fight sequence at the very end of the episode, just listen out for that kind of music. And I don't know. It's just the music geek in me is just really excited about that. (laughs) Anyway, okay, back to the episode. Um. Kendra breaks in, flips in, and does a split in midair and kicks I know, two people. This was insane. I know the stunt woman, whoever did that, props to you. That's a strong woman, man. Yeah. <laughs> Spike, who the hell is this? <laughs> I that's another part. That's like the fifth time I've actually laughed in this episode. I was like, everyone's comedic timing in this episode is like genius. Spike is so irritated. He's like, oh my gosh, another one. Buffy, it's your lucky day. Spike, Kendra, two slayers. Buffy, no waiting, which I think is hysterical because apparently Joss Whedon had that line in his head and told Marty that he wanted a scene written around that line. So this entire scene happened because of that line in his head. It's also interesting to know that Marty Noxon, she says that she has a cognitive dissonance when it comes to Buffy slash Sarah Michelle Gellar. She says that she sees them as the same person, which I thought was really cool. She -hmm. said that it's really hard for her not to picture Sarah going out and slaying vampires after she gets off work because she sees them as pretty much the same person, which I thought was really cool. really sweet. That's like a really high compliment. Right? Right? (laughs) I know. And that also just like gives like a huge like shout out to Sarah Michelle Gellar because she really poured her heart and soul into the character of Buffy and like for so many of the writers and producers and cast to say that they like felt like Buffy was Sarah and Sarah was Buffy is just a huge testament to what Sarah went through and like how much she poured into the role. Yeah and I don't want to like bash on Joss you know because I feel like that's kind of pointless but I do think it is important because You see Joss's bits of his character and bits of his words, bits Mm. of his thoughts throughout Buffy. And I think it's important to note and point out those things. And I don't want to just gloss over and brush past them. I still love Buffy. I still think it's incredible and amazing. But I think there are moments that need to be um, Mm -hmm. called out. And I think that it, it speaks to these powerful female actresses that poured their heart and soul into these characters that they should obviously get the credit for them. And I appreciated Marty saying that about Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that this scene was interesting with Buffy and Kendra fighting side by side. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that originally they're fighting separate people, right? They're fighting – Kendra's fighting Spike and Buffy is fighting one of the assassins. And I think it's really interesting that 
Buffy recognizes that Spike will overpower Kendra. Yeah. And so she switches. And I think that she recognizes this because I think that she knows deep down. And I mean, she even told Kendra. I think she knows that she could beat Kendra. And she knows that Spike was hard for her to fight. And so I think she recognizes that if Spike was hard for her to fight, that he'll beat Kendra. And I think it's interesting watching them switch. And Kendra does a lot better fighting an assassin because an assassin is calculated and they're very, like, methodical. Whereas, like, Spike is all over the place. He's very driven by passion. And so Buffy fighting him makes a lot more sense. I I was going to add on to that too, Leah. You kind of, like, really, like, hit the nail on the head at the end where you said that Spike is driven by passion. He's not a typical villain. He's somebody who's very emotional, like, especially it's shown in his relationship with Drew. I mean, we keep saying this, but it's like he's so much in love with her, which is so funny because he's such a corrupt person or corrupt demon. And yet we see so much humanity in him and just his relationship with Drew. So and it's genius because we just had that conversation with Kendra where it talked about how emotions can be assets. And so she says that she can beat Kendra because of that. She knows that she would probably be killed if she fought Spike because she knows Spike is, um, at least from what we have seen, especially as viewers, Spike is driven by that as well. And so I think it's smart to have him switch because then now Kendra is fighting somebody who's a lot more like, she's a policewoman too. Like, I feel like it's a lot easier to kind of gauge that she's a lot more, um, not as emotional as she fights is a lot more like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to fight. This is systemic. This is how like I've been taught. So it's interesting because I actually interpreted the scene very differently. So in the conversation with Buffy and Kendra inside of Giles's office, Buffy wasn't hundred percent sincere when she was talking about how she could beat Kendra. She was saying those things to goad and bait Kendra into getting her angry. I don't know that she necessarily meant them because we saw when they were fighting initially, they were at a draw. They were at a standstill, like no one was winning. That's not to say Buffy couldn't eventually beat Kendra, but I don't think that Buffy – like I don't know that Buffy actually meant what she was saying. And then in this scene where they're fighting, I got the sense that Buffy – wanted to fight Spike simply because at this point he's her arch nemesis and she's angry at him for taking Angel. And they even say that. Spike says, I wanted to fight you anyway. And she says, same or something like that. The whole, I don't think that Buffy was afraid that Kendra was going to lose. I don't think that's implied in the scene. I think it's simply that Buffy's like, I want to fight you because you're the person that's going down. And she'd said that in the library before, like Spike is going down. That's so so funny that like people can view like things so differently because like I totally saw it as the other way, but I can see how you would think the way you're thinking. That's really funny. I, I yeah. didn't think about that. So the and like I just want to give a shout out to that flip that Kendra does over Buffy's back. That is one of my favorite pieces of stunt work that I've seen yet. It's just really cool showing how they work together. I just I'm so bummed that Kendra leaves because their their chemistry and the way they work together is just it's so beautiful to watch. And having two slayers is so interesting. Yes, it really is. And how like by the end you see them gelling and how they fight. It's just – it's really beautiful to see how throughout the episode they learn to work together. 
Cordelia, die, 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 as she stamps on the worms. And I wrote, everyone's fighting their mortal enemy. Cordelia's yep. is the worms. <laughs> <laughs> she gets like super in the moment too. Like Xander has to pull her away. <laughs> and I love that she's wearing like this like slouchy sweatpants <laughs> and shirt too. Like totally not Cordelia at all. Yeah. So Buffy flings Spike away and he sees Willie trying to get away. Buffy tries to rescue Angel, but Drusilla calls out to Spike, who instantly forgets about Willie and lets him escape, who I'm sure he'll be back in another time. Spike rushes over to save Drusilla and Willow and Jaws are tussling with that vamp. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. Willow's like, hold it steady. And then she <laughs> dusts it and then pats all the dust off Giles' tweet suit. Like, she know. takes the time in a fight to dust Giles off. So funny. Oh, this is the first time that we've seen Giles and Willow kill a vampire on screen, which I thought was pretty interesting to note. Yeah, I noted um, that for Willow. Patrice slices Kendra's arm. That's my favorite shirt. That's me only shirt. Poor girl. Such a stupid line, but why is it so funny? And then Spike grabs a torch and lights a tarp in front of the gang on fire, unhooks Drusilla, sorry baby, carries her out. Buffy grabs, I think it's an incense, like a thing that holds incense or something. I'm not quite sure what it is. It's on a chain, swings it and hits Spike in the back of the head and knocks both him and Drew into the pipe organ. And... I love that Buffy says, I'm good. And I wrote, she is, and she isn't arrogant about it, only confident mm -hmm. in her own abilities, which yeah. again, props to Sarah Michelle Geller's acting because she could have easily made that like really smug. Corny. Yeah, yeah, corny or smug, or we would have been like, ew, like, okay, I don't like that. But she says it with full confidence, and you're like, yeah, you are good. Like, But also, I kind of felt like it was a shout out to like her conversation with Kendra, where she's like, you have to be creative. Mm. And she was in the moment, and that ended up helping her. And so mm -hmm. I think it was kind of her being like, yeah, like, that is one of my assets, is mm -hmm. like, you have to think outside of the box. Yeah, absolutely. That organ is actually made out of cardboard and plywood. Yeah, I Which, figured it would have to be a, like, soft material. Yeah, yeah. but it's crazy because you just, like, the trick of photography, you'd never know. And then Buffy cradles Angel's head while so the gang sweet. and Kendra watch. It's precious. And Kendra, I mean, this is just beautiful. She runs over and said, let's get him out. And she helps Buffy. Like, it's just a beautiful moment of both of them, like, coming together and helping. And I think in that moment, Kendra sees the love that Buffy has for Angel. But also, it's a huge testament to her trusting Buffy and being like, you know what? Even though I've only ever fought vampires that were horrible, I'm trusting you that he is a good person. Yeah. So in the school cafeteria, Willis says hi to Oz, who's in a sling. <sighs> How's your arm? Suddenly, Suddenly painless. <gasps> this guy is just like the best. Willow says, can you still play the guitar? Oz, well, not better or worse. <laughs> he said, well, because she said, well, can you still play the guitar well? And he's like, well, not well, but not worse. Yeah. Um, Willow says, you know, I never really thanked you. And he says, oh, please don't. I don't do thanks. I get all red and have to bail. And I was like, same. That's, that's exactly how I feel. Um, and then Oz holds up an animal cracker of a monkey with a hat and pants and says, you have the sweetest smile I've ever seen. Oh, and it just casually moves on. I just, 
my heart melts every time I watch it. It's just the purest thing. You can tell he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to tell her this. It was like he saw her smile and then just thought about it and then said it. And then he didn't want to make her uncomfortable. So he just like moved on. He wasn't expecting anything. Very smooth. Then he goes off on a monologue on how the other animals are jealous that they don't get to wear clothes. And then there's a big coup in the zoo. And then Willow says, the monkey is French. And Oz says, all monkeys are French. You didn't know that. And so the whole, I mock you with my monkey pants and all that other stuff. So after the line that Oz says about her smile, everything after that is ad-libbed. Isn't mm-hmm. that cool? Which is very, 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 very rare on Buffy the Vampire Slayer because – as we talked about earlier, like Joss Whedon and all the writers were really meticulous about their scripts. They went over it, they mulled over it, and what they wanted to go out of their characters' mouths had to be very, like, canon and proofed. And so the fact that they kept in something that was ad-libbed that was within their characters' realm is just so sweet that we get to see that. Yeah. And Allison Hannigan came up with the I mock you with my monkey pants line. And Josh Sweden liked it so much, he wrote that into the script. Oh. Yeah. Precious. And Marty Noxon said she always loves it when actors ad lib well because then she gets credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> Cordelia sees Xander, walks the other way. Xander pulls her aside to talk. And both blame each other for the reason that they kissed. Both are ashamed but attracted. Cordelia, you've probably been planning that for months. Xander, right. I hired a Latvian bug man to kill Buffy so that I could kiss you. (laughs) (laughs) Xander, forget about the bugs, all right? The memory of your lips on mine makes my blood run cold. (laughs) Genius. Oh, my gosh. It's so drastically different from Willow and Oz. It's like a train wreck that you can't like close your eyes. You're like just watching it and you know that it's going to crash. Two very different. I feel like we have such very contrasting couples in this episode. We have like Spike and Drew and the parallel between Buffy and Angel. And then there's like Cordy and Xander and they just start at least something in this episode. And same thing with like Willow and Oz. They start something in this episode too. It's just so funny how things are paralleled. Mm. Like with Angel and Buffy, they're both Buffy's protecting Angel or trying to protect him. And then Spike's trying to protect Drew. And so they're paralleled. Mm. And this one, it's like two different, very different high school couples. And they're in the same stage of a relationship, just like the other two. Mm -hmm. And they're being paralleled too. Like I was thinking about this episode and it's very hard sometimes I think – to talk objectively about the episodes that we're in because we know like the overall story and we know what's going to happen in the future. But I was reading some like articles and reviews of this episode when it first aired because I was curious about what people thought of as it was happening because I feel like that sometimes gives like a really good insight um, that I don't have anymore because I know the full story. And – Somebody mentioned that they have mixed feelings about Xander and Cordelia getting together, and I thought that their their feelings were valid. They said it really doesn't do much for either character. Like, neither character really progresses by them getting together, and at this point, it only serves as comedy relief. Hopefully, that will change in the future, but I kind of agreed. Like, at, at this point, like, them getting together doesn't really do much for either character. Um, hopefully it will down the line. But I'm curious about your what your guys' thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that it's okay to have characters do something that is purely for comic relief every now and then. 
Um, what? We don't, we, you know, for people who are new to the show, they don't know what's going to happen with the relationship. It could end in the next episode or it can continue on for the continuation of the show or, you know, you never know. And so I think that we'll see what happens when the show progresses. But I think that it's okay sometimes to have things purely for comic relief, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm just used to Buffy always using things to progress characters forward. And as this point, it doesn't really seem like a huge step forward for either of the characters. Doesn't mean that it can't in the future, but it's just an interesting choice. I feel like it only becomes a problem if it becomes a long-term relationship and they Mm -hmm. still aren't doing something with the characters. Mm -hmm. I feel like if it's like a short-term fling or if somebody's really going through a dark time and it's not helping them, I feel like it can be really helpful and kind of catalyst their character in a very different way. Um, but I feel like it's okay to have kind of people go through phases where it's like, okay, this relationship doesn't really matter to the grand scheme of things. But it, then it becomes more, a little bit more problematic and like stunts the character growth if it's a long-term relationship. So we'll see what happens with them. Who knows? Yeah, totally. So Buffy gave Kendra a shirt, says it looks better on herself. <laughs> she said it looks better on, well, me, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Tells Kendra to ride the plane because she earned it and to watch the movie unless it's about a dog and Chevy Chase, which is funny because she's referencing the movie Funny Farm and Sarah Michelle Gellar was in that movie, although uncredited. What? Mm-hmm. No way. What yeah. World? Yep. Um, Also, I wrote Kendra wearing Buffy's clothes show that she has learned from her just as much as Buffy has learned from her as Mm -hmm. well. Like, I think that Kendra is also learning to, like, kind of maybe assimilate into the world a little bit more and that it's okay to do so as a slayer and not always, like, keep a wall up. Okay. So before I play the clip for this next scene, I wanted to talk about something real fast. So do you guys remember in um, The Dark Age and then again in What's My Line Part 1 where I talked about how the Nerf Herder theme comes up and – or like I guess it should be called Buffy's theme comes and plays during significant moments in Buffy's Mm -hmm. life. So I wanted to read an excerpt from the book Music, Sound, and Silence because I think it's really fascinating and then we'll listen to the clip. So it says, once again, the theme in this new form represents Buffy's dual roles as superhero and teenage girl by using the Nerf Herder theme in another female-coded version. The conflict between her two identities is never more clearly pointed than in this moment as both she and her music attempt to distance themselves from the heroic identity, and yet the fact that she can never separate herself from this identity is underlined by this still being clearly recognizable as the same theme, albeit seen from a different musical angle. The major key version of the theme plays again, musically mirroring what Kendra tells Buffy. You always do that. You talk about slaying like it's a job. It's not. It's who you are. More than that, the theme reveals itself to be about who she is rather than about what she does. Its general absence from the underscore accentuates the extent to which it specifically identifies her more than her actions on the occasions that it is used outside the credits." Super wordy, I know, but basically what it's saying is the theme plays at specific times to show us that Buffy is both girl and slayer, but more than that, theme reveals itself to be about who she is rather than about what she does, which I think is just really beautiful and potent. So as I play this next clip, just listen for that theme as Buffy talks about that. 
I just wanted to thank you for helping me save Angel. I'm not telling me a watcher about that. It is too strange that a slayer loves a vampire. Tell me about it. Still, he is pretty cute. Well, maybe they won't fire me for dating him. You always do that. Do what? You talk about saying like it's a job. It's not. It's who you are. Did you get that from your handbook? From you. I guess it's something I really can't fight. I'm a freak. Not the only freak. Not anymore. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys could tell, but it's very similar um, as when she's ice skating, just the very feminine, um, beautiful strings and then Mm -hmm. the piano playing. Yeah, it's just it's very cool how music plays a part in kind of guiding our emotions, which I say every single episode. But I just think it's fascinating. I was thinking about that, too. Like the music sounds very much like her ice skating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once again, showing that Buffy is both Slayer and girl. Like when we're watching her ice skate, we're like, oh, look at the mm-hmm. girl. But then in this moment, we're like, oh, she's also a Slayer. Like it's just really cool how it shows both. So in the church, we hear a banging. Spike is unconscious. Drew in vamp face grabs him up by one hand. This is terrifying. Uh, I was literally about to say that like because Drew has been able to scare us up until this point in her weakened state. Right? Seeing her as strong as Spike now is chilling. I'm really excited to say this because I feel like I've been waiting for good episodes like this to say this. So here it goes. This is one of my all-time favorite scenes in the whole Buffyverse. Whoa. Right here. I think the buildup... And the payoff of this is excellent. I think the cinematography is excellent. I I just think everything is perfect. Like her pulling him off and holding him like he is a doll. And Spike has been the big bad of this whole season. And then the chilling music and then just like the, the dark shadows. And like her vamp look right now looks incredibly a little bit more snake-like than usual. And then just her carrying him, and it looks like she's almost like gliding. And it's like, it's a perfect scene. Like, yeah, perfect all the way through. Like, I think I just, I get chills every time I watch it. It's one of my absolute favorites. Well, in her outfit, she's no longer wearing yep. her white outfit. She's mm-hmm. now gone on like a black and red, which symbolizes yep, her coming that. into her full power. Well, she now calls him my love. That's what he's been calling her. It's just like, oh my gosh, like everything about this, I absolutely love. Yeah, she says dear heart, but still she calls him by a pet oh, yeah, yeah. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real fast I'm gonna talk about the mechanics of this. So that image of her walking while carrying Spike. Well, okay, first of all, so James Marsters is obviously on wires because Juliet Lando is not strong enough to pick him up. So like when she pulls him up by his hand is wires and when she's carrying him, it's wires. But um, that scene when she's walking and you see like the demolished church behind her and she's carrying Spike is a green screen. Isn't that crazy? I believe it. Yeah, which is why the shot is so fast, but it's still, like, effective. And I also wanted to note two things. So Spike and Drew each carry each other in this episode, which makes me really believe that they might be the most stable couple on the show right now. <laughs> like, they're both supporting each other. It's just – it's crazy. The other thing that I wanted to point out was – so now we can finally say, because it's very clear that James slash Spike is not dead, Spike was supposed to die in this episode. 
and not come back. That was supposed to be the end of his arc. And they decided- What to about Drew? Him. No, Drew was supposed to be alive and going. Hmm. So, which leads to my thinking that the way the scenes and the episodes have been shot up until now, even though Spike is the big bad, I truly believe that Drusilla was who they were grooming to be the big hmm. bad because of the way that you see her kind of like everything Spike does is for her. She's the one that has the prophetic dreams though. You see multiple times where Spike wants to do something and she tells him no, not to do it. Or she tells him go do something and he does it. So ultimately like her pulling Spike up by his arm, it kind of looks like she's the puppet master and he's her puppet. And she's the one that's really been controlling the shots all along. Um, and honestly, up until now, I I think that Drusilla has been the more terrifying of the two just because she's crazy. You don't know what she's thinking and she's highly unpredictable versus Spike is predictable in the sense that he does everything for Drusilla. Also, like she kind of like has him on a string. It's like he'll he'll do something and then it, like either he'll look to her to affirm him or like she'll correct him or she stops him from doing something. So even though she's not like at first glance the scariest because Spike is more in your face, I think that she's kind of the puppeteer in a lot of things. Not that she really means to, but I think it's because they're so in love and so tied to the hip that he's kind of the, he carries out a lot of the stuff that's been going on, but she kind of feeds it to him. Yeah. Which is scary. Right. Well, Marty Noxon made a comment in the episode where um, Angel kind of gets under Spike's skin and he almost stakes him. He says that, or she said that Drusilla is very curious and very easily allured. And so she was talking about how she wrote Spike to sense this. Spike kind of knows that Drusilla is that way. And so she could easily be lured away by Angel. And Spike is insecure about this and knows this. And that's why he attacks Angel so viciously. Because he, like, Drusilla is his whole world. But we get the sense that Drusilla either because she's crazy or for any other reason, is not quite as attached and into Spike as he is into her. And hmm. Spike senses that. So it's I'm like it's going to be really interesting watching the power dynamic shift now where Spike is gravely injured and not strong, but Drusilla is now the strong one. I don't know. Maybe we'll see their relationship kind of suffer a little bit. Mm -hmm. All that to say, I'm excited for the next few episodes. Anyway. All right. Well, that is What's My Line Part 2. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. What did you think about the episode? Is there anything that stuck out to you that you've never thought about before? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you guys. And as always, we will see you next week.